All right, we are in the final week of our series, uh, Meeting Jesus. Today, if you've not been a part of this series, it's a really very simple series. Um, Essentially, what we're doing is we are reading through the stories of different people who met Jesus during his ministry here on earth. And um, so if you're a guest here with us, we're right at the end of it, so you caught us at the very end of it. Um, I'm really excited as we're transitioning into June, uh, the next direction we're going to be going. Um, You'll be hearing about that next week, and we're going to be doing something for the month of June. I know this is the time of year when people start spreading out and heading out and going out on vacation, and we started sensing that even uh, this last week, but it's pretty obvious now that that's beginning to happen in spite of that, I am so, so excited about June. And so I encourage you to make it and be here next week, especially um, in order as we talk about what this is going to look like for us as we're heading towards uh, first week of July is going to be a big week for us. You'll find out all about that next week. But this week, we're finishing up uh, the Meeting Jesus series. And as part of this series, as we've been reading through these stories of, of people who met Jesus, um, there, was, there was no way I could end the series before hitting the story we're reading today. This story is the story that gives the whole series some teeth. And I like the series to have it, some teeth to it. So grab your Bibles today and open them up to the book of John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we're a big believer in having the Bible um, because of the fact that really the only authority that I can stand on and talk is this right here. Outside of this, boy, anything I have to say, you can just kind of ignore. But when I'm speaking on this and when we bring this up, then it speaks into our lives. And so we want everybody to have the scriptures in front of them. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are some that are spread out all across the auditorium. If you don't own a Bible, that's actually our gift to you. We would love for you to take that home with you and uh, uh, just be able to read it on your own as well, okay? So grab those Bibles, open them up to the book of John for what we are calling the dawn. John chapter 20, and we're going to start reading... In verse 11, John chapter 20, verse 11, here's what it says. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. So this is obviously after Jesus has been crucified, and more than that, it's Easter Sunday morning. And it's not Easter Sunday morning today. And yet, I know you guys will be okay with the fact that I'm bringing an Easter Sunday morning message because Easter should be something that makes a difference every day of our lives. And so you're okay with that. I'm okay with that. It's going to be great. But here's what's happening on Easter Sunday morning. Apparently, it's early in the morning, probably somewhere around 6 to 6.30 in the morning. It's dark out or may still be dark as it's transitioning. And it says that Mary is there. Now, when it says it's Mary... There's only one of those in the Bible, right? There are at least five Marys in the gospel, and or at least four, as many maybe as five, six in the New Testament. We're not entirely sure because some of them may be the same Mary. We think some of them are. So there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's another Mary who is, you know, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And then there's um, the Mary that is known as the quote-unquote other Mary in the Bible. There's someone called the other Mary. And then there's um, there's the Mary who is, uh, it might be the same Mary as the other Mary, but it's, it's historically been known as, traditionally been known as 
Mary, mother of Jesus' sister-in-law, who's also named Mary. So this doesn't get confusing at all. And then there's the fifth Mary, and that's who this Mary is, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. Now, when you hear that her name is Mary Magdalene, that's probably not what Jesus called her. But when the gospel writers were like, okay, there's a lot of Marys, how are we going to distinguish these Marys? And so they called this one Mary Magdalene, which is named after the city that she was from, Magdala, okay? So, which was a big city in Galilee, um, and it was probably a pretty prosperous city. It had a big hippodrome, which is vitally important for you to know. Uh, So the reason I think that's cool is because a hippodrome is where they raced horses. And so um, I think at a hippodrome you should race hippos, That's a race I would go to, friends, (laughs) if there were hippo races at the Hippodrome. But there weren't. It was just horses. But you can tell if they have a Hippodrome, it's obviously wealthy enough that, that, like, they have time for that sort of thing, right? Like, they they aren't just surviving. It's a well-known and wealthy city. And Mary of Magdala, Magdalene, was probably pretty wealthy as well. In fact, uh, the place that we find her introduced is in Luke chapter 8, verse 2. And it says a couple things about her there. Number one, it says she's included in this list of ladies who supported the ministry of Jesus. And the other thing it says is that Jesus had delivered her from seven demons. Now, what exactly that looked like, we don't know because we aren't told the story. Like, that story's not included in the Gospels. All we're told is after the fact, this is what happened. All we're told is that this happened, what it looked like, what the manifestation of that demonic power looked like, we don't fully know. All we know is that Jesus delivered her and told about it afterwards. As a result, she follows along with the disciples. That's actually the only place in the Gospels that Mary Mary Magdalene was brought up like where you hear about Mary Magdalene outside of the passion story. So like once you get to Jesus getting ready to go on the cross and, and after his death and resurrection, you hear about her all the time. But prior to that, Luke chapter 8 verse 2 is the only place that you hear about her. But once you get to that end of Jesus' life, she's brought up 12 times, which is more times in the gospel than a lot of the disciples got. So she's obviously a prominent member of his following, a prominent member of those who supported him, someone who was important to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is Mary Magdalene. Some people think that Mary was the woman who anointed Jesus' feet. Probably not true. Um, Nowhere does it say that that's the case. And in fact, I think sometimes when we read the Gospels and there's a woman there, like we always try to make her into a sinful woman. Or prostitute, which is the same thing, I suppose. But, but like, we always do that, and, and we have no evidence of that whatsoever. She was rich, she was supporting Jesus' ministry, and she had been delivered from demonic powers. That's what we know about Mary of Magdalene, or Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene. So here she is on Easter Sunday morning, early in the morning, it says she is standing, weeping outside the tomb. The word weeping there is not like a sniffle. <laughs> It's not like she reaches up and wipes away a single tear. This word that's used by John for weeping is a word that's only used eight times in the Gospel of John. 
And three times it's at Lazarus' death. One time it's Jesus predicting his own death and saying, this is what you're going to do when I die. And the other four times are found in this story right here. It's like hardcore crying. It's ugly crying. The, the, um, the, the Strong's Concordance and Dictionary defines it as, this is us season finale crying. That's what it said. All right, so it's not a case of the sniffles. She is, she is crying, like mascara running crying, and she's, she's, she's really, really weeping. And it says she's there outside of the tomb. This isn't the first time she's been here this morning. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 20, verse 1, she came one time already when it was for sure dark, and she sees the stone rolled away. And it says that she heads back and she tells the disciples. So John and Peter come running along, and they run right into the tomb. They look in. They see the, 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 the grave clothes there, and then it says that uh, a couple things. We're going to go back to in a little bit, but it says that Peter and John see the grave clothes, and then they head home. And so here's Mary outside the tomb. Uh, Peter and John just headed home. It says that while she's here, she's weeping, and the reason why she's weeping, of course, is, well, if you need me to explain it to you, you've probably never lost anybody close to you. But she stands outside of this tomb and is just weeping and is broken. And as she's standing there, it says she stooped to look into the tomb. And this is apparently, um, even as you read it, it may be the first time it happened. It's the first time it's recorded that she looks into the tomb. The first time it seems like she saw the stone rolled away and turned around and headed back. And so she looks into the tomb and here's what it says. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. So this may be um, speaking to something in the Old Testament with the mercy seat and all of that. We don't know. But one thing I know for sure is when she looks into the tomb and she sees these angels who are dressed in light, which is typically display glory, right? Like when it says that. Whenever I see angels, I think, okay, God's doing something. I've never seen angels, but I know that if I were to see angels, the first thought that would go in my head, I don't necessarily have a desire to see angels. That's not something I'm interested in. But if I were to see angels, the first thought in my brain would be, God is working in this situation, okay? But she looks into the tomb and she sees these two angels and it doesn't say she stops crying. In fact, it seems as if she does. She sees the angels and it says that they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid them. So she's upset not because Jesus has died. Obviously, she's obviously upset about that. But when she gets to the tomb, she's not going and hoping that maybe he's alive. She's going to the tomb because when they took him off the cross, it was kind of hasty. And so they had to hurry up and get him in the tomb. And so as a result, like they they didn't properly prepare his body for burial. And so she's just hoping to come and give like some small act of love and grace and mercy and kindness to the body of Jesus, right? Like that's why she's here. And she gets here and even that is taken from her. So she's weeping again, and she's broken again, and it says, having said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know 
that it was Jesus. So she's standing there, looking into the tomb. She must sense something behind her. Or she hears a noise behind her. Something happens behind her such that she thinks, I'm going to turn around from the tomb. And as she turns around, there standing right in front of her is Jesus. But again, it says, she did not know that it was Jesus. She doesn't comprehend that the person standing right in front of her is the person that she's there and should be looking for. Now, why she doesn't recognize him, we're not entirely sure. Number one, it's dark out. Number two, she's just been crying a lot. And number three, it would be fundamentally out of context for her to experience and see a Jesus who's alive when she went there to see a Jesus who is dead. Right? I was reading the news this week, though, and I I keep telling myself I'm going to stop doing that because it's never a good thing to read the news, but I just keep reading the news because I want to know what's going on in the world. And one of the articles that I was reading was about that Ukrainian reporter. Did anybody else read this news story this week? It was this Ukrainian reporter. I'm probably going to get his name wrong. His name was Arkady Arkady Babachenko or something like that. So the deal was with this reporter was that he um, had reported on Russian human rights violations and and Russian aggression in Crimea was really, really hard on Putin, um, incredibly uh, like against Moscow. And so as a result, Russia was not a big fan of this guy, which nowadays you really <laughs> don't want to be an enemy with Russia. And, and so as part of that, this week, and I think it was Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm not entirely sure, he was apparently shot dead. Right, shot in the back as he was heading into his apartment, or so they said, and they had pictures of it, and it was covered in blood and all of that. And, and of course, reporters, when one of their own is killed, like, up in arms, right? Like, this is, this is a reporter, and if you can't protect reporters, who can you rep- protect, right? So all of the reporters are like, I can't believe Russia did this, and all of that. And so they gathered for this press conference the very next day, And all of these reporters are in the room waiting for an update on what's going on with the investigation. And so they're all waiting there in the room. The door opens, and in walks Arkady Babachenko. Immediately, their response was like, everybody's off on the, they're clapping, they're cheering. They have no idea how this guy that they saw pictures of dying is alive. But it turns out that the Ukrainian government and and, uh, the police department and all of them had kind of gotten together knowing that the only way that they could track back uh, this threat against his life, because there was a real threat against his life, was to fake his death. And once the death was faked, then they could trace it supposedly all the way back to Russia. And this next week, they're supposed to release the information of what they learned and all of that. But when he walked in the door... Every single one of those reporters was there for a different reason. They were looking for an update on how this guy had been killed and who did it and all of that. But when he walks in, fundamentally out of context for them, but their response was still, okay, he's alive. Right? And yet, all through the story of Jesus' death and resurrection as he's risen from the dead, over and over, you get the same thing. Where Jesus is standing right in front of her and she doesn't know it. But it's not just her. The disciples as well. Like he goes into the room and they're like, oh, it's a spirit. 
or he's walking, they're walking down the road. Jesus is walking along with them. They don't recognize him till they get to the end of the road and he breaks bed and they're like, oh, it's Jesus, right? Or they're in the, the boat and Jesus is standing on the shore and he's like, throw your net over on the other side. That's not the cue for them that this is Jesus. It's not until they pull up the fish that they're like, wait a second, I know this guy, right? Like there's this general sense of every time Jesus appears or nearly every time Jesus appears that people don't recognize him. They don't see him. He might be standing right in front of them and they don't get that this is Jesus. And all through the Gospels, and specifically even in the book of John, anytime you read about darkness, John is trying to tell us that this person doesn't comprehend, does not have spiritual enlightenment. Like even when we started this series, we talked about Nicodemus. And what did it say? When did he come to Jesus? He came to him at night. John points it out. And so here we are on Easter Sunday. It was still dark and there's Jesus in front of her. And she does not recognize him. Why? Because she cannot comprehend that this is Jesus. So Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Jesus asks two questions. First one, word for word, what the angels just asked. Second one, woman, why are you, or first, first one, woman, why are you weeping? Why are you really ugly crying? And then he asks that other question. And I don't know if you've noticed how many questions Jesus asks in the Gospels. Have you ever noticed that Jesus asks a lot of questions? Like, if you total them up, it's over 170 questions that Jesus asks people. When I ask questions, it's because I want to know the answer. Because I'm trying to gather information, so I'll ask a question, and hopefully I'll get an answer that will make sense, and I'll be able to comprehend it. When Jesus asks questions, he already knows the answer. So he's not asking for himself. He's asking in order that the person he's asking the question will know the answer to it, or something like that. And so here he asks her first, he says, why are you weeping? But then the second question, I think, is just a very telling question because he asks her, whom are you seeking? But she isn't there seeking a whom, right? She's there seeking a what. She's looking for a dead body. She's there looking for a what, and he's saying, whom are you seeking here? And at this point, when I was studying this story and reading through it, there was a question that was just picking at the back of my brain, and then finally I realized what the question was. It kind of came forward into the front part of my brain. I was like, oh, okay, that's the question I keep asking. Why are the disciples not there? Why aren't the disciples, like, pulling up their lawn chairs and popping popcorn, and selling tickets. Because Jesus told them multiple times, I'm going to die, and then three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. Like, isn't this should be when they're like all like, okay, is it going to happen now? But none of them are there. No matter how many times Jesus tells them this is what's going to happen, they don't grasp it. It goes right over their head. At the point where Jesus was crucified on the cross, every single one of them thought, okay, that's the end. 
game over. We backed the wrong horse or hippo or whatever. We backed the wrong horse. It's over. The game's done. Like, he's dead. But he had told them this is what's going to happen. And they just plain didn't get it. So it says, Peter and John go to the, in fact, I want to read it. Back to verse 8. This is right after Mary goes and gets them and they run back to the tomb. Here's what it says. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, John, also went in. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. So he goes, he sees the empty tomb. Apparently he believes in the empty tomb, but doesn't understand and fully grasp what's going on. And so he heads back home. So then there's Mary, who's looking for a what, and Jesus asks her, whom are you seeking? So then it says, verse 15, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. So her mind is spinning. The only thing she can think is that this guy might be doing here this early in the morning is that he might be working in the garden. Maybe he took Jesus away. And she offers, just show me where he is, and I will take him away. Now, that's quite an offer for a little lady to do, don't you think? The boys are gone. She's going to take Jesus' body and carry it. But she's just spinning. Like, she's just spinning. And at some point it says that she apparently turns back to the tomb because of what happens in verse 16. So it says that here in, in verse 16, it says, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him. So at some point... As she's talking to Jesus, she turns back away from him. We don't know when it happens, but at some point it does. Otherwise, when Jesus says Mary, she goes. You know, so probably she turns back to the tomb, is looking back into the tomb, whatever, and Jesus says Mary. And the moment he says Mary, he says one word, he says her name, and actually it's the Hebrew form, Miriam. As soon as he says Miriam, it dawns on her. Now she knows. Because it says she turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now this is interesting to me. Because why would John point out the fact that she says it in Aramaic? Like why would he say, she said it in Aramaic, and then because he's writing in Greek, that means he had to, after he said what she said in Aramaic, then he needs to go through the process and translate it into Greek. So that's what he did, and that's why it says, she turned to him and said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Like Jesus, John specifically wants us to know that whatever's been the conversation's been happening so far, at this point, she says in Aramaic, teacher. Right, so up until now, maybe it was in Greek, which would have been the language of, of uh, the, the, the like market world. And so if you're in the middle of a garden and you're talking to someone you think is a Roman gardener, maybe you'd be speaking in Greek. So maybe she's been speaking in Greek until now, but as soon as he says her name, as soon as he says Miriam, 
she knows. And she spins and she cries out with the language she would have grown up knowing. And probably the language she would have spoken to Jesus. It's how she knows him. She cries out with her heart's cry of the language of her heart in Aramaic and says, teacher. And it says in Matthew chapter 28 verse 9 that she actually falls at his feet here. And wraps his, <laughs> her arms around his feet as she's crying out, teacher. What's happening here? Well, John chapter 10, verses 3 and 4 is happening here. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. And leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So for whatever reason, that before when she was staring right at him, she doesn't recognize him. As she's turned back away, for whatever reason, she turned back and looking at the empty tomb. As she's looking at the tomb, she hears his voice tied to his, or the name that he used to speak to her. And immediately she knows it's Jesus. Why? Because the shepherd knows the sheep's name, calls them by name, and she knows that voice. And so immediately she responds, this is Jesus. She spins around, jumps on his feet, and just like holding on to him, uh, holding on to his feet. And here's what Jesus does. In chapter 20, verse 17, here's what it says. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but I go to my brothers, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. The older Bible says here that he says to her, Do not touch me. Which people struggle with. Why in the world would Jesus tell her, Don't touch me or don't cling to me? When in 10 verses, he's going to tell Thomas, Go ahead and touch me. And touch my side. And you'll see this is me. Like he wants to show them that this is really the case. So why would he say to her, do not cling to me? Well, in order to understand that and understand what's happening here, we need to understand what Jesus promised them all the way back in chapter 16. So turn to John chapter 16 with me. John chapter 16, verse 7. Here is the promise that Jesus makes to his disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The ESV calls it the helper. KJV calls him the the counselor or the comforter. I think it calls him the comforter. The NIV calls him the advocate. 
The message calls him the friend. All of them, this verse, translate the word that here in the ESV is translated as helper as something else. Like they all use different words to translate this one word for who the Holy Spirit is. Because Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I think the reason why there's so many definitions and so many different translations is because like no one word can fully render and communicate what Jesus is saying here. Because you call him the comforter and you think that he's just going to like hold your hand. You call him the counselor and you think that you're going to get to lay down on a couch and tell him all your problems. And he's going to be like, oh, that's okay, and pat you on the bottom. Call him the helper and you, well, I think of helper. I think of my kids making pancakes with me. Like you think of unskilled labor or an apprentice or something and like you've got all of these words, advocate, sounds so legal, but it's more than just legal. It's more than just helping. It's more than just comforting. It's more than just counseling because Jesus says himself, listen, it is better for you that I go away and here's why, because when I go away, I'm going to send someone to you. And he actually says it will be better for you to have him with you than to have me with you. And then he says in John chapter 14, verse 21, he actually says, listen, when he comes, you will know me better. Wait, what? When I'm gone and he's here, you will understand and know me better. See, because a lot of times when we read these stories and we're like, boy, it would have been nice. It would have been nice to be like them and to have Jesus right in front of us. It would be nice to actually hear him audibly say my name. It would be nice to be able to fall at his feet and cling to him like she does. It would be nice to be able to literally reach down and touch the hem of his garment. It would be really nice to be able to sit at his feet and hear what he has to say. But what Jesus says is that it's actually better for us than it was for them. That there's something about when the Holy Spirit comes that he will make Jesus more real to us than even they understood, than more than they grasped about who Jesus was. It is better for us to meet Jesus through the Holy Spirit than to meet him physically in person. That's what it's saying. And so here you can almost hear, or I can almost hear, Mary Magdalene on the ground in front of him, clinging to his feet, saying over and over and over and over again, I lost you once, never again. You were taken away once. I'm never letting anybody take you away again. You can almost hear her saying that as she's clinging to his feet. And Jesus says to her, no, do not cling to me. Do not cling to this. Because I am going to go away. I'm going to ascend. And when I do, it will be so much better for you than if I would have stayed just as I am now. This week I heard a story of a televangelist who was talking about how if Jesus were here today, he wouldn't ride on the back of a donkey. Instead, he would fly in a Falcon 52 jet or something. Two jet, I don't know what it was, but it was $52 million is what he wants us to give him. So 
couple things I want to say about that. Number one, I'm tired of being angry. I'm tired of being outraged. And if every single story that I see, if the headline is intending to cause me outrage, I'm sick and tired of it. And I'm done being outraged. I'm tired of being angry, and I don't want to be angry anymore. So as you read the stories, get over being angry. Get over being outraged. It's not worth it. You're putting too much energy into it. And number two, the guy is exactly right. If Jesus were here today, he would not be riding on the back of a donkey. Unless there's a believer that's riding on the back of a donkey. And he would not be flying in a Falcon 2 jet. Unless there's a believer that's flying in a Falcon 2 jet. Can you imagine how terrible it would be if for us to interact with Jesus Christ, we had to crowd around him as if he's some sort of celebrity? Barely being able to see him with bodyguards in between us and him. Wouldn't that be terrible? But instead, we have the Holy Spirit who in the same way makes Jesus very real, very physical, and very personal with each and every one of us. What I love about this story is how incredibly personal it is. I mean, how do you not see in this woman who's like looking into the tomb and then Jesus is right behind her and she falls at his feet and wraps her arms around him and yells out, teacher, from the language of her heart. You can hear the relationship. But he says to her, there's something better coming because you still do not grasp who I am and there will come a day when you will, but it'll be the Holy Spirit who reveals it to you. Until then, you'll be in the dark, but the dawn is coming. So look forward to that, he says. And in the meantime, let go of my feet and go and tell my brothers something, which this is the only place in John where he refers to the disciples as his brothers. It's very cool as well. He says, here's what I want you to tell them, that I'm going, I'm going to ascend to the Father. And when I do, the Spirit's going to come, and that'll be better for you than if I were to stay with you forever. Verse 18, then Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. What a great place to end this series. What a great place to end this series. I love this spot to end this series because I've loved this series. It's been good, and I'm sad to see it go. But I just love this story because it's so personal. I love it because you have someone who knows and loves and follows Jesus who meets him all over again. And he promises to her there's something even better coming. And it's easy with a series like this to to read the stories of Jesus interacting with these people and to leave it in the past. Right? Right? Because like the disciples saw the tomb and they believed. And I love the song that we kicked off the whole service today with by the choir. What a great song. I believe over and over again. But you know it's possible to believe in an empty tomb without knowing the risen Christ. Right? Like it's possible to believe that this was the case and never have interaction with the real Jesus Christ. 
And yet, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's available to us. That sort of relationship. And it's unlike anything the, the, the first disciples even ever saw or knew of Jesus. It wasn't until after the Holy Spirit came that they were like, oh, now I get it. He was who he said he was. And he did what he said he was going to do. I grasp it now. Why? Because the Spirit revealed it to them. They were no longer in the dark. The dawn had come, right? So that's what I love about this story. But it's sometimes so easy to turn away from the risen Christ and say, I believe in an empty tomb. To turn our back on him and not interact with him in that way and to just believe. I believe in dentists. I believe they exist. I believe they do a good work in this city. I believe that they are working all across the city. I believe there are dentists in our congregation. I believe it. And it is possible for me to believe it as my teeth fall out. Right? And it's not until I trust the dentist that I go to the dentist and I sit in the chair and let the dentist work on me that it makes any kind of difference in my life. So I can believe that the tomb is empty without ever knowing the risen Christ. I can, put my, I can say, I believe, I believe, I believe, but faith is so much more than that. And what's the, that's what the Holy Spirit does for each and every one of us. And when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit fills us. That's what it says. And then there's even something more where the Holy Spirit comes and he fills us in a fundamentally different way. And he baptizes us. And then we have the ability to do what Mary did here. We have the ability to go and tell. We have the ability and he gives us the power to be able to share with our neighbors. And to speak to our coworkers And to tell our brothers and our sisters about Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ can do. When it becomes more than just a notion and it becomes a reality, when it becomes more than just a, I believe this is the case, and it is a reliance upon him. That's what it means to meet Jesus. And as long as we read the stories and leave it in the past, oh Jesus, man, that was really great how you said that to that one person. When we don't realize he's saying the exact same thing to us. See, the Holy Spirit comes and makes it real to us. And today we meet Jesus in the same way. And by the power of the Spirit inside of each and every one of us, we can help others to meet Jesus too. That's meeting Jesus. It's encountering and experiencing the risen Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus said, it is better for you that I go. Because if I do, then the Spirit will come, and he will make it so much more real to you. So when we sit back and we say, oh, man, that would have been nice, Jesus says, you have the helper. You have the counselor. You have the comforter. You have the friend. You have the advocate. And in the same way that I am an advocate for you in front of the Father, the Spirit is an advocate to you on my behalf. He says, oh, it doesn't get any better than that. friends. That's meeting Jesus. So don't look back. Say, oh, wouldn't that have been nice? 
Don't just look at the empty tomb and miss the risen Christ right here, right now, available to us. Because that's the power of the Spirit. Would you stand with me today? What I love about this story is all through the book of John, you see people in the dark. And here, still, she's standing in the dark. She doesn't grasp it, but the dawn is coming, you know? The Spirit is coming. And that Spirit still today wants to make Jesus Christ real to each and every one of us and help us to interact with him and to know him in a way unlike any of the disciples could until the Spirit came. And so it is better for us that we don't have him immediately in front of us because we have the Spirit instead inside of us making Jesus real. And today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is reaching out to your heart right now and saying, today you can And to know him unlike anyone else would know him personally. You can know him. You can have an encounter and experience with Christ by the power of the Spirit. And if meeting Jesus stays in the past and reading the stories, and the Holy Spirit doesn't take those stories and make them alive and real to you and introduce you to him, then, friends, you're going to fundamentally miss it. It's not a historical thing. It's a relational thing. And so I just want to pray for you. And if you're here over and over and over again in Scripture, we see this need to bow our knee before Christ and to say to him, I put my faith, my trust in you. I believe who you said you are. Confess. Say you're Lord and God raised you from the dead. The resurrection was real. And if you today do that, if you put your faith in him, trust him, then today you can receive salvation. That's the promise that's made to each and every one of us. And if you're in here and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues, today that can happen for you. Today the Holy Spirit can fill you in a different way. And today can be a day wherein you receive the power to reach your neighbor. And have the authority, more than the authority, have the the impetus, the ability to know how to speak to them and to know what not to say and to be led by the Spirit in that way. And that today can be the day when that happens for you. Would you pray with me? Father, I do thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for his sacrifice. I thank you that in Jesus... We see our own need and we see that each and every one of us are, are lost. It's not but for Jesus we would, be, we would be far away from you. But in Jesus Christ we have been brought near. And God we thank you for the power of the Spirit. Sometimes we can fall into the trap of saying, oh man if only we could do that. When Jesus himself said, it is better for you that I go in order that the Spirit might come. And so, Lord, help us more and more by the power of the Spirit to rely on Jesus Christ. Help us to put our faith in him and to have a relationship with him. And, Father, this morning, if there are any in here who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, right now we do put our faith in Jesus. We confess with our mouths. We say Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. The the Bible is true, and Jesus is who he said he was. And the Spirit is still available to each and every one of us. Father, we put our faith in him this morning.
And Lord, right now, I just pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit, still available to us, still working in our lives. God, I thank you that there is that promise of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, whereby we will receive power from on high. And God, I pray, because I believe that you have called this church to be a church full of people, a church that reaches coworkers and neighbors and friends and brothers and sisters and children for Christ. And God, we need the power of your spirit in order to do that. We are reliant upon his leading and guidance and provision and uplifting. If not for the spirit, we cannot do it. And so Lord, we pray today for any who are here right now who have not experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit. God, I know it's available to us, and I know you want to give that great gift to us. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would come and fill us. Fill us afresh and anew today. We need your spirit today. We need you right now to come in this place. For hearts that are crying out for you. For hearts that are saying, I need you, Holy Spirit. Right now, I just pray that you would come in that powerful and special way. Move across this place, I pray, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, move right now. By your power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, we need you. this song this morning there's nothing worth more that will ever come close nothing can compare you're our living hope your presence Lord and this morning if you've if it's just been an intellectual thing for you if you've just put your faith or your belief in the intellectual side of it. This morning, I pray that more than just that, you would experience the risen Christ. As we sing this song, if you need prayer for anything this morning, if you want to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you in that way that I just promised that he would come, that he would say, as I align myself with the promise that Jesus made, I should say, That as I said that this morning, if immediately you had a desire for that, that even as we're singing this song, instead of leaving, would you just step out and come down to the front and this prayer and altar team would love to pray with you. And they will not just pray with you during this time, but pray with you all week long. They'll be praying for you. We've got a little time left. And this is a perfect way to end this service today by just focusing in on God and focusing in on his presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. And at the end, I'll come and I'll end 
this time together and dismiss you, but would you end with joining with me in this wonderful song and worshiping him? And if you need prayer this morning, would you just step out and come down to the front and we'll pray with you.